I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspective. Hello, hello, my dear. Hello, hello, Madigan. We are recording remotely because we are T-minus, what, like three days before the wedding. wedding. So. Yeah. And both of us have family in the house because of your wedding right now, too, which is really funny to think about. Yeah, it's very hectic. I have my mom and two of my brothers here. So there is five of us in this apartment right now. Plus two cats. Plus two cats. Very intense. And plus all like it's I've I've given up on trying to make my apartment like look decent. Like it's just there's stuff everywhere. It looks like my apartment exploded. I, there's just no way. It's like there's we're doing a cookie table, and so there's just cookies all over the place, just all over the kitchen. There's just like like early twenties men's clothes all <laughs> over my living room because my brother's like it's just a, everywhere just a banana situation. Oh my gosh! I mean, the cookies all over the table kind of sounds like my dream. Yeah, it's just like big freezer bags of cookies everywhere at yeah. this point. And my and we got a bunch of stuff from Portos, so my Ooh. freezer is just Portos boxes. Oh my god, you just got me even more excited for this wedding. You're going to be like, "Where did all of these cookies and Portos bakery goods go?" And everyone's just going to immediately like turn their head to me and I'm going to be like sitting at the table with just like pastry hanging off my face. Like, "What?" Well, you know what? Luckily, we have more cookies than we thought we were going to have and we're going to have less people at the wedding than we thought we were going to have. So everybody can have as many cookies as they want. Well, gee, are you feeling okay about the less people than you thought at the wedding situation? Is all good? It is what it is. It's a weird time to be having a wedding. So like, it's yeah. just... 
less people is definitely okay during a pandemic, I feel. But I want to make sure it wasn't like anybody that you were like, oh my god, this person that I like really wanted to be there now can't come, you know? Well, my my uncle isn't coming now, which is a bit of a bummer. But like, it's all good. At this point, I'm just like, what? Ever. Say la vie. Yeah. Say la vie. Exactly. Let's just like, we just got to keep living life till we get to the day, you know? Yes. Um, well, listeners, I was explaining to Keegan that I am dealing with some withdrawal symptoms from my meds because I was an idiot and missed my psychiatrist appointment. Um, so all is well, don't worry. But I was having kind of a hard time focusing today when I was doing my research. Uh, so I don't have the most, I guess, like dire gripping I guess like devastating news that we would usually wow, start with well. so I wanted to check in I know and wow yeah you're right I did make it sound like we just start on like a major no, major so downer like, but we man, do what a bummer I couldn't find any like devastating news to bring you guys today <laughs> Keegan what do you have for us uh, well, <laughs> Keegan bring us the doom and the gloom I will do that for you so This was not something that I had heard of before. It's actually something that originally came up on my For You page on TikTok as I was mindlessly scrolling. uh, And I realized I hadn't heard anything about it. And so I went and I checked out the hashtag on Instagram and it had fewer than 100 posts. So this is not something that is being talked about. And it just feels right to use what little platform we have to share this story so awesome. I am going to be talking about 22-year-old Barry Washington. Barry Washington was a black man living in Bend, Oregon, and he was shot and killed outside of a Bend nightclub on September 19th after flirting with a white woman inside the club. So the woman, Allie Butler, her fiancé, Ian Cranston, confronted Barry aggressively outside of the club and a fight broke out. So before anybody asks, because I'm sure that people will ask, um, witnesses say that Barry did not act inappropriately with Butler when he approached her. So he did hit on her inside the club. I've heard it said many ways that he approached her, he hit on her, he complimented her. I've heard all of those things used. Right, but like that's a that's a standard thing to do when you're like in a club situation if you see a pretty girl you don't know what their attachments are things like that you go up and you introduce yourself right and again I don't know exactly how the entire situation went down but witnesses did say that he didn't act inappropriately when he approached her right so video camera footage shows that the fight had ended so they they got into a scuffle outside there's a camera out outside um Ian Cranston confronted Barry Washington they had a physical fight. Then they kind of like separated, like went into their corners and Barry was still having words with somebody who um, was in like Ian Cranston's like entourage. But that's it. Like that's where they were at. But it was at this point when Ian Cranston pulled out a concealed gun and shot Barry, after which those present did not immediately call for help. Uh, some witnesses said that Butler and Cranston's friends were laughing after the incident. Ugh. So Ian Cranston was arrested on second degree manslaughter, but he was r- released later that evening on one hundred on, on ten thousand dollars bail. Yes, second degree manslaughter. Why second degree manslaughter? I Why? don't know. <laughs> I don't know because, and I haven't seen the footage. Again, there's not a lot of information on this. Like. It's. I mean, I guess maybe they're saying it's not premeditated because it was like 
a split decision at a nightclub. There wasn't like but planning. Second degree ahead of time. manslaughter, even right. like, like that's what I was gonna say. Like that doesn't make any sense you, to because me. to me, not that I'm like super knowledgeable. Same, but. but to me, it feels like if the argument had ended, and maybe somebody who is more knowledgeable on this, please write us and let us know. You know, give oh us my your gosh, insight. Do hundred percent. Yes. But it does seem to me that if a physical altercation had ended, you walk away, you come back, and you shoot somebody. That's enough time to have thought about it. Like about what you were going to do. You know what I mean? Like that is a really good point. Like that, that would be considered like premeditation to some people, which it should. Yeah. So this incident has ignited conversations surrounding racism in central Oregon. So in case you didn't know, um, Oregon is insanely racist, despite Portland's reputation as this like progressive utopia. I think a lot of people like we've seen Portlandia. We see all the jokes being made about like hipsters. Yes. We think of Portland when we think of Oregon. Right. That is one part of Oregon. Right. Because Oregon was initially created as like this white supremacist safe haven. And many places in Oregon are still a stronghold for a lot of like militias and white supremacy groups. Like that is just a Mm -hmm. thing. You know, we saw it with the uprisings last summer and everything that uh, went on with that and how Portland kind of became this hotbed and how many incidents of like really violent acts towards black people and other POC in Oregon, um, how prevalent that was during that time. And so during vigils for Barry, black residents told their own stories of racism that they'd experienced while living in Bend. Uh, One woman was saying that she had been run off the road. Uh, A 16-year-old girl recounted the times that she had been called the N-word while living in the city since the age of five. A local black teen, Deshaun Adderley, was bullied so badly at his high school with um, racist bullying that he completed suicide in 2015. So this is something that there is a... It's like an epidemic in this area. Right, yeah. In central Oregon, just in general, like it's something that happens so frequently. And then you see things like this happen. And Ian Cranston being let off. (laughs) He was released the same night on $10,000 bail on a second degree right. manslaughter charge, right? Yeah, it does seem like it's not, it's more of a slap on the wrist and not so much justice. Right, it feels that way, yeah. yeah. So Barry Washington himself, when he first moved to Bend, which was not, he hadn't been living there for too terribly long, it was actually really sad because his roommate and friend who had been friends with him since he was 11 had told, uh-huh. rec- like was recalling that he had told Barry that it was a safe area and that like, mm. you know, there wasn't anything to be worried about. So when Barry moved there, not long after he arrived, he was harassed and followed around town uh, by a group of white men who called him the N-word and told him... Who on earth told him that this was, like, going to be a good place for him? Like, I want to talk to that person. His friend, uh, I believe, is also a black man, and I think because he hadn't experienced anything, that he was like, no, 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 it's a chill area, like, it's okay. But it's really sad because he feels so much guilt, obviously, now, and... I'm sure he does. Like, that is not a dig on the friend whatsoever. It's just one of the, like, that is yeah. just kind of like, wow. Yeah. You know, just made me stop and think for a second. Yeah. Um, but when this happened, like, when he first moved there and he was being followed around, he was being called the N-word, these men were telling him that they could, quote, do whatever they wanted to him. Uh, the friend, of course, was like, wow, I really didn't expect that to happen. 
So there were members of Washington's family or there are members of his family that fear that his death is related to those previous incidents of harassment that he had originally gone through when he first moved to Bend, that these people who had attacked him outside of the nightclub were either kind of members of the same group or friends of uh, those same people. Uh And if that was the case, they could argue that this was potentially premeditated right that they had a former relationship now i haven't seen any proof necessarily that that was the case and this issue this this issue with racism in this area does seem to be so widespread and so systemic that it doesn't necessarily they don't necessarily have to be related yeah exactly if if they are, it would be much easier to prove that this was yeah, premeditated I think murder. That's, I think that in a regular case, if you're not dealing with a hate crime or something that's more systemic, that would be kind of your easy pattern to follow. But I do think it makes it more difficult when there have been these instances of repeated racism and harassment and hate crime where who is to say, and maybe they do know each other, maybe they don't, but who's to say it has anything to do with any sort of conspiracy? What if it's just the fact that a lot of people in this area are super racist and that's why he got a lighter sentence? That's why, you know, there's all these different things where, like you said, it doesn't matter either way, but it does seem more like it's not just about this one person or group of people. It's more about the issue in this town of what's going on and what's being allowed to happen. Right. And so District Attorney John Hummel, he has stated that he's not ruled out the possibility that this is a hate crime. But what he said was, quote, the question I have to decide is whether Cranston's decision to shoot was motivated in part by Washington's race. At the end of the day, it comes down to what his motivation at the instant that he committed the crime was. So to me, those two sentences... I don't know, like the first sentence basically saying that we have to decide whether or not Cranston's decision to shoot was motivated by Washington's race. Right. So it has to be a blatant act of racism. But to me, that speaks more to like, okay, if you are a racist person Uh and you see a black man inside of a club hitting on your girlfriend exactly then your decision to shoot might be in part motivated almost definitely is in part motivated by his race but that's but the not the same thing, thing as him like saying the n-word or something you know that's right. like where that would be very very like clear cut and dry that was a hate crime where what you're talking about is really part of more of like a systemic racist problem right you know because, rather than but, just that but that's particular what's confusing instance. not confusing but I feel like this statement kind of speaks it to two different things. It it's, it's This statement speaks to two different things. The first sentence is basically saying, like, I have to decide whether his decision to shoot was in part motivated by race. Well, it very well might have been if he is a racist person. But then the second sentence says, at the end of the day, it comes down to what was his motivation at the instant he committed the crime. Exactly. Which are two different things, I think. You know what I mean? Like, I agree. Because... You know, I I really feel like it's more than just that instant, that moment. And I understand that in order because there's more than a moment that makes a person decide to take another person's life, I think, you know, makes it easier for a person to make that decision. Right. Yeah. I think that it probably made it easier. And I, I think it probably added to him getting riled up as quickly as he got riled up about someone hitting on his girlfriend right. at a nightclub, you know? Yeah. Uh, so Ugh. I understand that there have to be guidelines in place right. when it comes to what is or isn't considered 
or elevate something to the status of hate crime. Like, I understand that there have to be parameters there. Right. But, but maybe they need to be relooked at. Yeah. Yeah. So, Just like re- rediscussed a bit because, like, it, it does make it really complicated also because we are not mind readers. It's hard for us to know true intent. We can only, like, guess really educated guesses on both sides you know the people defending him and the people that are against him so it's hard you know that that argument can be made either way possibly about what his intent was at the actual moment that he pulled the trigger and that's where you're leaving a gray area open for more speculation by the public more speculation for a potential jury more speculation for everybody right i mean and if that's the case it's like does someone have to say a racial slur in the process of for real of attacking somebody or killing somebody for it to be considered a hate crime. Yeah. Like I, I just, if like what needs to be proven, does it need to be proven that they, um, that he shot him because he's black? Because I feel like they will be able to argue their way out of that because exactly. there were other, there were other circumstances at play. However, and no one is in that person's mind. So he can tell you what he's going to, you know what I mean? Like, there's no way to prove what he was actually thinking at that moment when he was pulling the trigger. Right. But I do, you know, this story doesn't have a lot of attention on it right now. And I don't know everything that has gone into this, into this situation or this story. What I do know is that there is a systemic problem with racism in Central Oregon and that second degree manslaughter seems very, very light and that his family deserves to have this looked into more closely. 100%. So can, you know, figure out the facts of this case. Have uh, it be so- like fair and actually look right. into everything. I, I hope that there are people that are involved in an investigation of some sort. I hope there are people that are trying to do honest work on it. But it is frustrating if we don't have the the media coverage of it, the people talking about it and all the buzz, we're not going to get all the information. You and I won't. You know, we need more right. people demanding right. to get more information for that to happen. Right. Which is why I felt like I needed to talk about it, uh-huh. even though we don't have all of the information, because I feel like we need to get this spread around as much as possible so that a investigation can be done an investigation that is under the microscope right like under the magnifying glass of the public uh can get done so that we can see it be as transparent as possible yeah so if you would like to contact district attorney john hummel uh in regards to this case um you know, request that an investigation be done, a thorough, transparent investigation, and demand that Ian Cranston be charged for Barry's murder, you can contact John Hummel at 541-388-6520, or you can email his office at john.hummel at dcda.us. And I do want to give a shout out to the TikTok account where I first saw this story, and that is Josie Stanfield, Josie, at Josie Stanfield on TikTok. So in their TikTok bio, they have a uh, GoFundMe account where the proceeds go to Barry Washington's family uh, to help pay for his funeral expenses amongst other expenses. So if you feel so inclined, please go to their TikTok page. You can also um, look at the videos that they've posted about this Uh, this situation if you want to learn more. Are you ready to shop? 
Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I had not heard about it. Yeah, me neither. Wow. Really, really important to talk about. And it does kind of lead me into my topic of conversation. So last week, I went into the story of Gabby Petito, who was the like hashtag van life woman with her fiance, and they were traveling through the country. Then her disappearance, the discovery of her remains, and how this case has affected social media. And as a result of Gabby's case kind of getting this huge, uh, you know, popular buzz, you know, in the zeitgeist, Missing People of Color have begun to be highlighted more and more as well, looking for the same kind of media coverage. And one of them is a woman named Lauren Cho, who I've been seeing a photo of a lot on social media and going around the internet. And so I thought it was important to highlight this situation because much like the case that you were just discussing about the lack of information in the public, uh, that seems like it's very much the case in this situation as well. So Lauren, whose nickname was L. Cho, was 30 years old, and she went missing near Joshua Tree National Park in California back in June. She was from New Jersey, but she moved to California in 2020. And at that time, she was traveling with her friends and her ex-boyfriend to Joshua Tree, where they stayed in this like remote Airbnb. I was just telling you that that's what I'm doing next week. So <laughs> we are going to an Airbnb with a couple of our friends. <laughs> so that well, be fun. you know, I don't think you're going to do what it is alleged that Lauren did. So they say that the last time Lauren was seen was on June 28th at 5 p.m. where she allegedly walked into the desert from the residence with no food, water or cell phone. So did this... Okay, did that information come from the people who were traveling with This her? is exactly the thing. Everywhere that I'm reading, it's very hard to be able to say there was like a last name that was used a lot, so I'm assuming it was the ex-boyfriend, but I don't know how valid some of these sources that I was reading were. Like, it's just really hard to get a clear picture about like timeline and what state of mind she was in, but there's a lot of information about her, like who she was as a person or is as a person and all that kind of stuff. So it's hard to say where this is all coming from. So all it like, let's take all of this with like a little grain of salt because the ex-boyfriend thing really does raise some red flags for me. So 
they do get the police involved. They do say she is a missing person, but it seems like local police really didn't do much of a much of anything with the investigation because there was an aerial search done a month after she went missing and I believe that was after some like higher level investigators got involved so they did and and I get aerial searches if you're trying to get like a big scope of land but especially like I feel like it would just be hard but I guess in the desert it's pretty open I don't know I mean yes but that doesn't mean that there aren't places to like go Hide, under you know, or yeah. yeah like I just feel like it's a lot of money for something that like probably doesn't work that often and but a month later I mean I guess unless yes. you're looking for remains yeah because oh. nobody nobody survives in the desert no for not at all well and then they also searched the Airbnb after that so it's been probably closer to a month and a half by the time they finally searched right. the airbnb and now was that airbnb going to other tenants you know all this kind of stuff what's going to be there hopefully something but i don't know because i can't find out anything <laughs> so the family and friends really are uh taking to social media in hopes that somebody knows something uh that there will be some attention brought to this case so that investigators will begin to take this more seriously gary one of lauren's friends tweeted recently despite how much it hurts to reopen this i want to use the attention now and just power through then went on to urge people to share his friend's missing persons poster across social media her family has also been posting updates in the case to the facebook page find lauren cho the sheriff's department has pleaded with the community to please come forward with any information. They say if you have any information to reach out to the WeTip hotline at 878-CRIME or www.wetip.com or reach out directly to Detective Edward Hernandez or Sergeant Justin Giles, Specialized Investigations Division. So her... Well, I hope... I mean, I would imagine that the people who were with her have been thoroughly questioned. Right. Uh, but I would hope so because can someone give any insight as to why a third? What was her woman mindset? Walk away without even her cell phone. Well, because in what I've learned about her too, like there was a lot about you know who she is as a person. Like she was working toward like she wanted to open a food truck and she was very musical and she moved to California to kind of like start a new life for herself during this time and like it's stuff that like all of us can really relate to, like starting anew, finding a new path, and. Like, that's kind of right, all I really know about her right now. I could see somebody getting upset, right? You have a fight and you like are like, I need to go get some air and you walk away. But, but you're not even bring your cell phone with you. Right. Seems but maybe like I've done that before when I'm really mad where maybe I will forget something. You know what I mean? But at that same time, the only thing that then would make sense is that she just got horribly lost, which is devastating. But I or feel that like picked her up. That that's what I'm happened. saying. But it's more likely that something happened with somebody else than it is to me that she just got lost and turned around and couldn't find her way back. So... This story is like got so many question marks in my head. It really did grab at me. I think anytime that there is um, great like journalists and writers out there that are good at talking about who the person is and really personalizing it and talking about a lot of like her hopes and dreams and what she was doing in her life being a 30 year old woman. Um, she is of Asian descent, uh, which is why a lot of people are highlighting this case right now because she doesn't look like Gabby Petito. So I wanted to give her a quick little highlight on the show as kind of a part two of what I discussed last week. 
Yeah, and this wasn't in my original notes, uh, but I did want to go ahead and say this because one of the cases that people were highlighting during when everything was going on with Gabby Petito, uh, a missing persons case that was not getting any attention or any traction, and that was the case of Jelani Day. Mm-hmm. Well, um, six six days ago, unfortunately, his body was found in mm. the Illinois River. Uh, he was a graduate student, and um, so I just did want to go ahead and mention that on yes. on the show as well, since it was I, I wouldn't even know about him at all uh, yeah. if it hadn't been for people highlighting that case. Definitely, everything that was going on with Gabby Petito. So yeah, very sad, sad news. But I do hope that well, more justice needs to be done. Yeah, yeah, but I do hope that the at least the attention that. Um, that case brought or that the not that case but the people on the internet who right kind of highlighted the discrepancy between the attention that Gabby Petito was getting and missing people of color I do hope that that helped contribute to his body being located I do too yes and I hope it it gave his family I know it's devastating but I hope that they have a little bit of peace you know I can't imagine anything worse than not knowing uh-huh what's Definitely. happened to your loved one you yeah know, so yeah um Okay, so the last thing I have is kind of good news. Uh, R. Kelly earlier this week yes. has been convicted. Convicted. Yes, yes. I say kind of good news because obviously it's very good news that he's been convicted, but just the amount of It's hard to celebrate something. Yeah, it's hard to celebrate something where while it's great that this person is going away for it, the devastation that he has caused in its wake is like nothing to, it doesn't feel right to like celebrate about it. But the fact that he's finally getting justice for what he's done is like such a relief. Absolutely. R. Kelly is on the do not playlist yes. uh, for my wedding with my DJ. So not, not to worry, Madigan. Yes. <laughs> so after more than 25 years of accusations and a federal court trial in New York that lasted seven weeks, R. Kelly has been found guilty of charges including sexual exploitation of a child, bribery, racketeering, and sex trafficking involving five victims. Wow. Uh, He faces a possible sentence of 10 years to life in prison. Let's do life. Yep. Uh, I mean, look, man, I didn't finish surviving R. Kelly because it's just that hard to watch. Same. Uh, But, I mean, I watched most of the episodes and same thing with finding neverland both or finding neverland uh leaving leaving neverland wow yeah. i'm horrible um this, but both of them i watched like a good chunk but after a while i was like this i can't i can't handle it the sheer number of victims oh that my Mark god has. and the stories and how when they're telling the story as like fully grown women and remembering it and seeing oh it's just like it's the most devastating yeah, 10 years Heart is not... Heart-wrenching thing. Certainly not enough. No. Not enough. For the pain, like, it's been so many years since some of these women have been abused by him and hurt by him. And, like, when you see them tell their stories, it's so unbelievably, like, raw and real to them still to this day where that dude needs to rot. Right. I mean, and I, I really appreciated that that documentary... I mean, that's really what brought a lot of the attention onto this case. Well, it brought it, uh, like, back because I feel like that it was a case that was, like, talked about in pop culture and, like, people knew about it, but it wasn't, like, really being taken that seriously. And I feel like it was starting to build a little bit and then that documentary series came out and it just, like, 
all this but, shit came yeah, out. I mean, it, it was a joke for a yeah. lot of people. I mean, for everyone's e- known yeah. forever that, that R. Kelly was a creep. He was like 28 whenever he married Aaliyah when she was 15. Like, yeah. gross, you know? And, but it was a joke to a lot of people. And in this, I think, New York Times article that I was reading, they were talking about the cultural factors uh, that partially facilitated R. Kelly avoiding consequences for so long. So this is a quote from that article. It says, legal experts and people who study sexual abuse have also suggested that the race of most of Mr. Kelly's accusers likely played a role in him um, avoiding consequences. Mm -hmm. Experts say black women have historically been far more likely than white women to have their accusations about sexual misconduct distrusted or ignored. Yes. Quote, our reality is that our society just does not view black women and girls as credible, said Kenyette Barnes, a co-founder of the Mute R. Kelly campaign. We assume that 15-year-old black girls have the cognitive ability to manipulate a grown man. Yep. And, um, Nail that is on the absolutely head. the truth, and I'm so grateful to that documentary f- because it, it makes really it allowed- obvious. And un- it's unfortunate that we needed to see these women relive their trauma and their pain 100 uh, for the public in order for people to say, "Oh my gosh, they're humans." But yet, I'm so thankful that they were willing to do that at the same time. Like, it's just it sucks that they have to go through that. But the fact that they were able to say, like, you know what, I'm going to do this for the betterment of other people for the betterment of this case in particular. So I always give my hat off to people who are willing to be authentic and vulnerable in front of a camera or anywhere else in order to help the greater good while at the same time, feel very frustrated that they have to do that to begin with. Yeah, So after the jury convicted R. Kelly on all nine charges against him, federal prosecutors uh, did give this message to the people who testified against him. They said, quote, today's guilty verdict forever brands R. Kelly as a predator who used his fame and fortune to prey on the young, the vulnerable and the voiceless for his own gratification. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he will be sentenced in New York on May 4th. He also faces other charges uh, in other states, including Illinois and Chicago for things that were done there so all in all very good news yeah not to end it on a bad note but of course i just <laughs> of course whenever i was doing prep for this episode bill cosby had to give his two cents and he oh, said god that R. kelly was railroaded so unkindly go fuck yourself you know what bill cosby i don't care what you think i don't care <laughs> what you think and i don't care who knows that i don't care what you think mr cosby yeah. Yeah, uh, not a good look. I mean, people are saying that this is the beginning of the Me Too reckoning within music because I hope so. Uh, men, men in music for a long time have oh my god abused and exploited and used women, especially young women. There's no, uh, there's no like rock artist from like the seventies and eighties uh-huh. that did not exploit young women in some way. Yes, Even our beloved 100%. like David Bowie's and yep. Prince and people that we see as being these like. Great. Well, I mean, and the, and that's where it gets complicated. It's hard because you do, you are dealing with these people that are such cultural icons that it's it's easy for people to get their minds tangled up in the person that they want to believe that that performer right. is. And you're seeing a lot of performers, like I think Chuck D also said something that this was like, whoa, life in prison would be way too harsh or whatever. And it's like, first of all, I don't know where your publicist is. Who's yeah, like, who's hey, letting you up. say that. 
But the reason they think this is because they too have done extremely questionable things uh-huh. because for so Covering long Covering their own it asses. Was deemed, it was deemed to be acceptable because of course these women wanted this or of course you have you you should be allowed to do this. And just because they're going along with it and maybe they're saying yes at a time or maybe they're following you back to you know the backstage area well you're in a position of power you are a famous musician you are and a lot of these, abusing these, these young children. girls. Exa- and that's what I'm saying you are grooming yeah. and manipulating these actual children who are in their own minds at the time probably think it's a great idea until they realize it's not you know and that's taking advantage it's oh it's just infuriating to me but thank you for bringing that up um i think that that would actually be a really great conversation for a full-length episode sometime soon so yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, groupie culture and all of that stuff. Oh as my well, god! You know, I just watched. Sure. Um, I just watched Almost Famous again earlier this week because it was Max and I's three year anniversary, and that is the movie we watched the first time that we ever like didn't go like out for a date, but like he came over to watch a movie and that kind of stuff. So, and that's partially why Penny Lane is named Penny Lane as well. She's a she's a band aid. What can I say? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing because I kind of called out groupie culture on my other podcast in the beginning at my worst date. A story came up where I was just like, not cool. And I had people reach out, like women reach out who were mad because they were like, I feel powerful whenever I do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, that's cool. But I do think that a larger conversation and again, this is going off on a tangent, right? Because but when you're but when you're young and not, you're a minor, that's different. Well, and not all the women that R. Kelly assaulted, kidnapped, trafficked, etc., were children. True. You know, uh, there were a lot of them who yeah. were adults. So I'm not even going to put a lot of these people that he victimized in the group, quote unquote, groupie category. True. Um, but it is an interesting conversation to have. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, and we don't shame here. We don't shame. We're just talking about it as a very interesting conversational topic that I think definitely would be a good thing for us to chat about. But before we do our final spiel, I mean, this is our last episode with Keegan being a single feminist bitch. This is wild. True, true. But she's I know. she's never going to be a ball and chain. She's not doing any of that. She is always... I'm, I'm keeping my last name. She's I always our Keegan, Keegan Winfield. Winfield. To you. Yep. So... <laughs> I am so excited. I'm so excited. I got a new dress today. got some new shoes. I'm and like... We're going to have so much fun. Feeling myself. Max and I are going to get to go- get away as well a little bit. I am so excited. So congratulations early to Keegan. It's going to be you. so much fun. To everyone else, if there's any news topics that you want us to cover next week or anything that you want us to cover in a full-length episode, please reach out to us at our email at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or direct message us and follow us on Instagram at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the other listeners on the group page. And last but not least, it really truly does help us so much when you leave us a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts with a quick little sentence about why you think we're cool. That's all I ask for. All right. With all that being said, we encourage you to To rage rage on. on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.